Super Talk Mississippi Media Production. Toyota Brookhaven services all makes and models. That could be why we were voted best service department the past two years. Come see why. Exit 40 Brookhaven or online at toyotabrookhaven.com. Great service, great savings. At Toyota Brookhaven, we deliver. Howdy, howdy. It's Rhino here, and I wanted to say thank you for listening to Middays with Gerard Gibbert here on Super Talk Mississippi. Get ready, get ready to go beyond the headlines and join a meaningful conversation with people from around the state. You're listening to Middays with Gerard Gibbert here on Super Talk Mississippi. everyone and welcome to Midday Super Talk Mississippi. I'm your host Gerard Gibbert along with Rhino in the Element Wealth Studio guiding you through the middle of your day with facts, fodder, and fine music. I'm going to call this Independence Day Eve, Rhino. There you go. <laughs> How are you this morning? Oh, not too bad. It was nice to wake up and uh the first temperature you see didn't start with an eight or a nine. <laughs> Little overcast skies, I think, cooled it off a bit. I saw the long-term form forecast, long range, I guess, next seven, eight days in the low 90s chance of rain every day. But that's We've had of, a chance of rain every day for the uh, last three weeks or so. Yeah. But no severe storms in the offing that I could tell. So we don't need any more of that. Plenty of trees down. I'm still still seeing piles of tree debris around my neighborhood. As the neighbors are just now getting it all cleaned up with those storms moving through. It is hard to believe, but it uh, it is, in fact, the day before. July 4, Independence Day. 2023. Where in the heck is the time gone, huh? Jeez. Time flies when you're having fun. I reckon so. And we're having fun right here on middays for sure. We got to work. The parking lot was relatively empty this morning, wasn't it? Just a little bit. The roads, uh, not, not quite too... COVID empty, but yeah, it was that's definitely true. emptier than normal. That's true. But that's fine. Folks uh, enjoying a long weekend, but we are here. <laughs> the only thing emptier than COVID empty was Ice Storm empty, and I only saw pictures of that because I couldn't even make it. Uh, that's true. I was here along with maybe one other vehicle <laughs> in the parking lot. That may have been Perez's, as I recall. Uh, yeah. Please don't let that happen again. That wasn't any fun. I didn't. Well, now I don't that. have an excuse. I could literally walk it. <laughs> well, we are certainly here. And uh, proud to be here. You know what's coming up pretty soon, though? Is that old Neshoba County Fair? That's hard to believe. Before that, we got Palmer home. We sure do. That would be our next, next Thursday. Next Thursday, the 11th annual Palmer Home for Children Radiothon, Thursday, July the 13th. We're certainly proud to be part of that again here on Supertalk Mississippi. Of course, every year there are children across Mississippi that need a loving home, and many times these children are caught up in unimaginable circumstances. 
And that's why we need your help. You'll learn how Palmer Home for Children serves vulnerable children. It's a faith-based organization that doesn't take government money. So we need your help. That means tune in next week, because it is going to be an all-day affair, as it always is, the Palmer Home the 11th annual Palmer Home for Children Radiothon here on Super Talk Mississippi. Looking forward to that. And then following that, later on in the month, the, the Neshoba County Fair, I believe, will be there for two days. Those old candidates will be in the pavilion shucking corn, as they say, and then they'll head right over to the iconic Super Talk tent. The Element Well Studio will be set up just to the side there of the pavilion in the middle of the uh, the fair property. Looking forward to that. I expect Rhino it would be well attended with elections coming up uh, here in the state of Mississippi in August. We've got uh, on the program for you today, we've got Henry Barber. Speaking of elections, he is, of course, a GOP strategist. He's going to be calling in and discussing the 2023 state elections. And, of course, right around the corner on the heels of our elections for our state leaders, we roll right into the 2024 national elections. So much stuff going on that could influence uh, both of these election cycles. In the meantime... What about this super moon? You guys seen this? Astronomy enthusiasts, enthusiasts, excuse me, are in for a treat because it's the first super moon of 2023. And that's going to really lighten the skies up around the world. It's incredible. That uh, that, of course, was last night. If you didn't catch it, we had somewhat uh, cloudy skies. It's called a buck moon. That was supposed to happen at 1024 last night. It was a little overcast around my neighborhood, so I didn't really catch it. But it's reported that both Mars and Venus would be visible once the skies darken. Uh, just after 10.40 Greenwich Mean Time, uh, that would be at the U.K.'s western horizon, and then about uh, 1.45 uh, Eastern Time, Eastern Daylight Time in the U.S. I didn't, I didn't see it because it was overcast at miles, so it didn't, didn't catch it. But that's the old super moon. Last super w- blood moon. Super, is that what it's called? Super blood moon. I don't remember if it was the blood moon this time around, but I did see a lot of pictures of it. Okay. And there was one over, where was that? Is the Hagia Sophia? I just I went blank on how to pronounce it, but there was a really striking picture of a blood moon over that. I don't know if that was recently or not. That's weird. I don't know that I remember hearing much news about this. Something else that caught my attention is the Biden administration totally obsessed, of course, with climate change. Now they're considering, considering a rather radical plan to block sunlight. you seen this? You know, we talked about Bill Gates had a plan to, to like, install this giant screen in space. I think space. he was going to release chalk 
to make a kind ah. of screen into the atmosphere. But okay. yeah, if anybody was ever a fan of the Highlander series of movies, then they probably remember the awful sequel, Highlander 2, where this was a major plot point that ruined the entire planet. Well, that's what many scientists are warning about. Of course, the Biden administration, it doesn't matter. If it's for climate change, by golly, we're doing it, right? Because you see, climate is more important than human life to the Biden administration. It sure seems. So this is some sort of what's called solar radiation modification, SRM, of course, the acronym for short, also known as solar geoengineering, and that's what the scientists are saying. Don't mess with Mother Nature here. It would, uh, of course, prevent, they say, they claim, sunlight from accelerating the alleged warming of the planet. There is a, this is a, there's a research document that uh, discusses how to deploy this SRM geoengineering through both the public and the private sector, or perhaps a combination of the two. The report says it might halt, but would not result in the rapid reversal of some important manifestations of climate warming. I don't know. This is uh, this kind of stuff just sounds nutty to me. Model simulations, according to the report, show that the chemistry of the stratosphere may change, and atmospheric circulations may intensify in ways that may lead to seasonal-scale impacts, such as more frequent extreme drought or precipitation events. This, of course, is the report from the report published by the scientists warning against this radical uh, approach to the uh, climate change debacle. Wow. Modern history is, I wouldn't say it's filled with examples of this going wrong, but there are certainly historical examples of people trying to tamper with things beyond what they should be controlling. I think one of the worst examples is, gosh, was it the 1930s? where a scientist figured out a chemical concoction that could seed rain clouds from the ground. I do remember that. And then, after being asked to do so to relieve a drought in Southern California, they had 30 days of nonstop rain and flooding <laughs> that killed people. <laughs> oh, my gosh. There's, there's no end. And so one of the methods that uh, is proposed in this White House plan is what's called stratospheric aerosol injection, SAI, which involves boosting the amount of aerosols in the stratosphere to reflect the sun rays away from the Earth. So this is similar to the Bill Gates powder plan, I guess. I just emit some material out in the stratosphere. They say this is akin to what occurs in volcanic eruptions, which, of course, is always followed by a cool-down of the planet. So what happens if we do this and then a <laughs> volcano erupts? Unbelievable. We're stepping aside for a break with Grand Funk Railroad bumping us out of this segment. Coming back after the break with Henry Barber, GOP strategist. Stay with us. Now back to Middays with Gerard here on Super Talk Mississippi. 
Every time I hear that tune, all I can think about is Silas of the Lambs, of course. <laughs> it's from the show, from the movie. Uh, joining us now is Henry Barber, GOP strategist. Henry, thanks for uh, taking some time to call in and help us sort out this uh, rather complex political environment we got going on, the 2023 state elections, of course, just around the corner, at least the primaries. And then we roll right into the national landscape. Uh, first, Henry, good morning to you, sir. Thanks for joining us. Uh, first, what do you think about how the recent Supreme Court decisions, I mean, pivotal landmark decisions within a 24-hour period of time, how may, how may they play into, uh, first, the statewide scene? What do you think? Well, um, happy Independence Day, a day early, Gerard. Glad, glad to be with you yes, from Yazoo City. Yeah. Um, it's going to be interesting to see. I, I, I don't know, uh, necessarily that they, they have a big impact on state elections. Uh, clearly, uh, federal elections in the presidential election, you know, and we saw in the 22 election with Congress, that uh, the Dobbs decision reversing Roe v. Wade uh, clearly motivated Democrats, and they overperformed. Um, and I think a lot of Republicans didn't, frank, a lot of Republican candidates didn't uh, really know what to say, and they and they should have just stuck to you know their beliefs. Uh, but a lot of them kind of went silent, and so I think it worked against us um, in the twenty-two cycle. Um, and it'll be interesting to see about the 24, but I, I'm not sure, Gerard, that I see it, uh, impacting, say, the governor's race or the lieutenant governor's race. Okay. Um, but it's fascinating, though. It, it definitely is. Well, let's, let's talk about, let's start with the state elections. Let's start at the, the top of the ticket, the governor's race. Not really a whole lot, I think, uh, uh exciting in the, in the primaries, but, but surely setting up for, a very contentious affair uh, between uh, our governor, Tate Reeves, the incumbent, and uh, the Democrat challenger, populist Brandon Presley, very popular political figure in the state that, on a daily basis, frankly, is is attacking our governor and seems to be well-funded. How do you see this playing out? Well, it's it's definitely a race that Republicans Tate Reeves can't take for granted. Um, I, I, I like Tate's position right now, and and honestly, um, I'm a little bit underwhelmed by the Brandon Presley campaign. I kind of thought they started the year uh, pretty well, um, but I I just don't quite get what their their approach, and I I, I would think. They need a new strategist, maybe somebody from Mississippi. Um, but that I, I think Presley is struggling. Um, and I think Tate is sitting on about nine million dollars yeah. and just getting started. Um, but all that said, um, if it's taken for granted that things can change rapidly, uh, as we know in politics, um, but. Tate's big advantage is, I, I think, just the results that he got as governor. 
And if you look at COVID and you look at the contrast with um, how he, you know, tried to make sure schools were open and that businesses stayed open, that you could go to church, as opposed to states like where Gavin Newsom, uh, governor in California, or Cuomo in New York, where they didn't want people going to church. They didn't even want people going to the park or the beach. It's crazy. Yeah. And I think that sort of exposed where Democrats are. And I think that hurts Brandon Presley, helps Tate Reeves. And and then meanwhile, uh, on education and economic issues, uh, record um, uh, employment rate here in Mississippi, I, all these things speak well for Tate. So I'm, I'm, I'm pretty optimistic about Tate, but... Uh, want to be careful uh, not to get too excited early. Do you, do you think that uh, Presley poses a bigger challenge to uh, Tate than Jim Hood did? That's a good question. Um, I, you know, for years and years we heard that Jim Hood was going to be the perfect statewide candidate for, for Democrats. I think the problem was is it just didn't seem like his heart was in it. I don't know that agree. You know that's really was his aspiration. I think he loved being attorney general and and uh, he had great success getting elected there. But um, I, I don't know, Gerard. I, I know I'm supposed to have an answer to that, <laughs> um, but I, I really don't know. I, I'm just I'm like I said, I'm underwhelmed by. Uh, Brandon Presley. I yeah. I thought he was going to be a lot stronger, um, and he seems to kind of be cl- playing uh, to the liberal Democrats, uh, uh, Stacey Abrams, and and such because he needs their help and and support. Um, but I don't think I don't think that's working for him, and I don't think it works for the Mississippi voters and. You know, Tate's just got to keep his head down and, and, and keep getting good results and and explain the contrast with what you'd get with Tate Reeves and what you'd get with Brandon Presley. And I think COVID is the is the best example of contrast uh, that, I, that I can think of. Yeah, I, I think you're right. I mean, certainly the governor was uh, was handed just a, a number of, uh, of, of big-time emergencies, catastrophes that he had to navigate through, uh, while also uh, executing and discharging his, his typical duties as the uh, chief executive of the state. And I think most people that I've talked to anecdotally say, yeah, I'm, I'm pleased with the way the governor handled that. And and I think you're right. That, that will play out in his favor. Let, let's move down to lieutenant governor. Of course, we got a, a, a big-time primary race there. You and I talked about that last time. They were just getting started, but things have uh, certainly amped up since then. Incumbent uh, lieutenant governor Delbert Hoseman and, and challenger Chris McDaniel. What's your take on that today, Henry? It's a barn burner. Um, I, you know, McDaniel, uh, according to a, a poll that the Magnolia Tribune uh, put uh, in their paper um, about a week ago, has McDaniel up 45 to 40 over the incumbent. Um, and this is with McDaniel essentially spending no money. Yeah, doesn't have um, any. He doesn't know, have just any. Just kind of doing his thing. Uh, he doesn't have yeah, any. Yeah, th- my understanding is, yeah, he had to give about four or five hundred thousand dollars back that he got some form or fashion, not legally. Right. And um, 
I bet you that money reappears from some other pack, you know, some sort of independent expenditure. I, I, I'll bet money that it'll get spent, uh, before August the 8th and it, and it won't be a positive message either about, uh, our lieutenant governor. Um, but, but Chris McDaniel can do more politically with less money than most any politician. He is particularly talented political performer. Agree. And, um, and so Delbert, I know is not taking him for granted, but I, I think we've got a barn burner and it's going to come down to, uh, basically the next month leading up to the August 8th primary. Um, I think Delbert needs to remind people of his conservative credentials, which, which I think, you know, so many people, you know, concerned about uh, voter uh, election integrity and voter integrity for that matter. And I think, you know, the reality is, you know, Delbert Hoseman, most people don't know it, is the, is the father of voter ID in Mississippi. Wouldn't have happened That's without right. his leadership. That's right. And I think, and I, and I think voter ID is the foundation of election integrity, of having free and fair elections, you know, showing a, a photo ID. So I think Delbert deserves a lot of credit there. And, and I think that he, along with the governor and the speaker, has, you know, got a long list of accomplishments. A lot of the things that Tate's talking about, well, you know, the, the lieutenant governor, speaker, the Senate and the House, they can take credit uh, for these things related to education and the economy. So I think Delbert has a, a lot to talk about. Um, but I do I do sense that, that the message needs to get more to contrast. And we got to get, you know, the, the bench is fine, uh, those ads. But um, it's it's time to have some contrast because I, I do think, uh, you know, Chris McDaniel in that poll leading um, it should send a message to the Hoseman campaign. Can you hang with us, Henry? We're up against a break right here. Can you stay through the break? Talk some more? Yes, sir. Yes, sir. You're the boss. We got it. We got Henry Barber, GOP strategist, uh, on the line here at Middays. Hang in there with us through the break. We're coming right back. Listening to Middays with Gerard. Gerard Gibbert here on Super Talk, Mississippi. Welcome back, everyone. Midday Super Talk Mississippi from the Element Well Studios. Our guest is Henry Barber, GOP strategist. We were just uh, talking before the break, Henry, about what is, uh, I guess, you described as a barn burner. I agree with you, sir. Talking about the race for lieutenant governor, the primary race for lieutenant governor, going to the polls in uh, just a little over a month to decide that. 
You made the point. We were talking about the, the financial status of the two candidates, uh, the incumbent Lieutenant Governor Delbert Hoseman and, of course, challenger Senator Chris McDaniel. And last I checked, I think the lieutenant governor has about ten times the cash on hand than the lieutenant. Uh, pardon me, than the senator. But you made a great point, and I agree with you that Chris McDaniel can get more done from a campaign perspective with uh, a small amount of money at his disposal than perhaps any other candidate, maybe in the country. Honestly, certainly in Mississippi, he's proven that. Yeah. Maybe in the country. I mean, he is a talented political performer. There's no question about that. Um, that said, I mean, Delbert does have about $3 million, and yeah. that's a big advantage for his campaign. But you can't have all positive messages sitting on the bench, uh, and particularly if that poll is even close to being accurate. And, you know, that's one poll. Um, Before you go past that, Henry, let me, gonna, let me ask you a question. It was. I saw the same report. Forty-five to forty. Where are the other fifteen percent? You got a lot of people who really are undecided, and and I've I've seen some some polling that Gerard shows that you're talking about thirty, forty percent of people, sometimes fifty percent, and I'll say the far reaches of the state where they don't get all this news in Jackson. Um, they don't know much about Delbert, and they don't know much about Chris McDaniel. Yeah. So there are a lot of undecided voters out there. There's a lot of opportunity to define your opponent and to provide an aspirational message of your own. So there's a long ways to go in this in this campaign to determine who's going to win, who's going to help lead our state. Uh, by being the head of the Senate. It is a big deal, and it will affect the trajectory of our state politically and who wins this election and who loses. Yeah, there's no doubt. And, and, and uh, of course, Delbert was on last week uh, with Paul Gallo. I don't know if you caught that interview, but you know he, he made the point that the way our Constitution works, that the, the Senate itself adopts the rules uh, I'm not sure if it's for the entire term or for the session, but but nonetheless, the lieutenant governor is not automatically right installed as the presiding officer over the chamber. That the Senate has to adopt rules to confer that power to the lieutenant governor, and that includes making committee assignments, uh, signing bills. Is is that the correct understanding, Henry? Yeah, certainly the senators have the the power. Um, if they want to run the place, but I hadn't seen it happen in my lifetime. No, agree. Um, and I, so I, you know, right now, um, what matters is these candidates getting out and giving their message, and and ultimately, who's going to go vote in primaries? A lot of times, turnout, turnout is is hugely important. Um, there's not a lot going on at the statewide level uh, on the Republican side, uh, except for lieutenant governor's race for the most part. And you've got some local races. But are people in Rankin County going to turn out in big numbers? Are people in Madison County? Are people in Jones County? Are people in Pearl River County? I mean, so those campaigns have got a, a lot to do then. Other than just you know ads 
um, you know, they really need to have the organizational push to turn out their voters and and persuade people in the in the closing weeks of the campaign. And that's where I think Delbert has an advantage because he's got a lot of money. But as we have agreed, you know, Chris McDaniel is a social social media powerhouse. And um, so if it's a lower turnout uh, deal, I think that plays to Chris McDaniel's hmm. advantage. Interesting. And, of course, one thing that would, I, I would think, uh, pull voters uh, to the polls on Election Day is if in their particular districts there are contentious primary races for the legislative offices, right? If they're contentious races that are getting a lot of attention, a lot of ads, and so forth. Or for sheriff or supervisor. Yeah, yeah. You know, people get out and vote for those races. You're those right. are, you know, they care a lot more about them. Um, and, and I would say, you know, Delbert is strong in sort of Metro Jackson. And, but I don't think we have a lot of contentious uh, local Republican primary well, races in that area. So if I was the Delbert Husband campaign, I would really be focused on making sure to uh, maximize turnout in those places where you're strong. Um, and we know Chris McDaniel's strong in the Pine Belt. We know from previous campaigns, you know, he ran uh, well in DeSoto County and Pearl River County. Um, and I would imagine that his campaign is going to try to do everything that everything they can to maximize turnout there. But I, but I think the Hoseman campaign's got to make sure their message reaches those counties because I, I am convinced that there are a lot of voters in places like Hancock County and and uh, Pearl River County or DeSoto County or Marshall County. They don't know much about either candidate. Yeah. And so if I'm Delbert and I got all this money. Um, I'm making sure people understand. Hey, yeah, voter ID. Are you familiar with that? Wouldn't happen without me. Um, And talk about his uh, what he's done and related to crime. Uh, You know, people in DeSoto County are very concerned about crime coming down from Memphis. Mm -hmm. Um, Well, Delbert has fought hard uh, to give us more prosecutors to uh, give longer sentences for uh, violent criminals. Um, these are things that, you know, that I think they're talking about. I would talk about them more. Yeah. Yeah, of course, on, on the McDaniel side, uh, just to balance it out, uh, they maintain that, that Delbert uh, single-handedly blocked elimination of the income tax, uh, as an example. Uh, and the ballot measure process, which is yet to be reinstated after the Supreme Court struck it down. They maintained that the lieutenant governor was the obstacle there. They, there was also, uh, they're, they're mad about, they, they point this out a lot about his appointment of uh, Democrats to a couple of key committees uh, in the Senate. Uh, I personally think that's a bit overblown, uh, honestly. And when, when I looked at those committees, Henry, and the bills they got, I don't know that it'd have made a whole lot of difference had a Republican, you know, been in charge. And of course, as you know, we got more committees than we got Republicans in the Senate. So I don't see personally, I don't see that as a big issue. The income tax, the ballot measure, right. point that out. The other one with respect to voter ID, and I'll be quiet, and let you talk, is that go tell Donald Trump to jump in the lake uh, with the Gulf or whatever it was, and that goes back to 2016. And my understanding when I researched that was Donald Trump was wanting some personal information. On, on voters that that the, that the Secretary of State said, no, we're not going to give that to you. 
Yeah. Well, you're exactly right. Both candidates have plenty to talk about. <laughs> they got plenty of ammunition. And and it for those of us who enjoy politics, this is <laughs> going to be an entertaining uh, month, you know, leading up to August 8th. And, and this is the marquee race. There's no question about it. Uh, on the Democrat side, all we, I mean, they got all their infighting and, you know, it turns out their chairman, who, yeah. uh, who was obviously uh, an esteemed lawyer, um, you know, seemed to me to get caught talking about the Democrat National Committee making an illegal earmark contribution to the state party and tell, oh, by the way, you got to give it to the governor. Yep. Uh, the governor's race, that is, and Brandon Presley, which yep. is illegal. And, um, so Democrats got their own problems. Um, but, um, it's, it's going to be interesting. And, and, and then, of course, you know, 24 is just around the corner. And, um, Senator Roger Wicker, um, intends to be renominated as our U.S. Senator come March. And, uh, so, we will be off and running uh, very quickly uh, into 24. And then much less, you got Iowa, you got New Hampshire, South Carolina, the, the presidential uh, primary. You got uh, an opportunity for Republicans to take the Senate. Um, huge, huge opportunity to, to really sort of change the direction of the country away from where our friend Joe Biden's taking it. <laughs> no doubt about it. Henry, always good to see you, sir. Appreciate uh, your insight and your analysis. Uh, really do. And I'm sure we'll be talking some more as we approach the elections. Thanks a lot. And you have a good Independence Day. Thanks a lot. Thank you, brother. Nice to You got it. Henry Barber, GOP strategist, has been our guest here on Middays. We're stepping aside for a break. Coming right back. Stay with us. Listening to Middays with Gerard here on Super Talk Mississippi. Thanks so much for joining us. Nice music there as we celebrate our independence coming up tomorrow. We'll be airing the best of middays tomorrow, taking a step away from the mic to enjoy Independence Day. 70% chance of rain in central Mississippi, but I think that's just the afternoon sort of pop-up shower variety. 
which means it's a coin toss on whether or not, well, it's a coin flip on if it rains or not, but if it does rain, it's whether or not it'll make it muggy. That's true. Or if it'll cool it off a little bit for the fireworks. That is very true. So there was a question on the ceasefire text line, Chris from Oxford. Uh, Gerard asked him after Trump wins the presidential election next year and does his four years, can the next president nominate him for vice president? So, Rhino, you and I found sort of conflicting info about that. This is covered in the 12th Amendment that uh, prescribes how presidents and vice presidents are elected. And so we found, uh, you and I both found the same report from University of Georgia Law School, says it can, they would be eligible. But I found another uh, article that says they're not. So honestly, I'm not sure. Seems like that would be a bit crazy, just thinking about it. And I can't fathom... Seems a bit far-fetched on the face to ask Donald Trump if he were to win next time around to then serve again in a lesser role? I don't see him doing it, honestly. I just can't imagine that Donald Trump would agree. Now, you know, we talk a lot about the current president's age. He's 80. He will be, what, 82 when he takes office, should he be elected in 24. He'll either be 82 or approaching 82. What's Donald Trump? He's 77 now? Is that right? Yep. And so... Turned 77 this past June 14th. Okay. So he would be 78 when he should take office. If he's the nominee and gets elected when he's inaugurated in January 25, he would be 78 within six months of being 79. So he would be 82 when he exits his second legal term, should he be elected. It's, I think, obvious, though, that he is just seems to be more mentally and physically fit, honestly, than uh, President Biden. And, and I think the, the takeaway there is what's visible is just the level of energy. He did a big, um, big rally, packed rally, yesterday, right, South Carolina, in a deep Republican, red Trump, pro-Trump area. And while it's easy to see the pictures and go, yeah, that's thousands of people, I'm scratching my head when I see reports saying 75,000 people showed up. Uh, didn't look that like seems a bit 000. hyperbolic. Yeah, I don't think it was 75,000. I'm, I'm not buying that. It was a bunch, but not 75,000. But still, a lot of people showed up. And he does exhibit lots of energy. There's no doubt about that, unlike the current president. So this is why when we got into this discussion last week, you remember we had some folks on the text line. I think one individual said we should limit, uh, we, we should uh, implement a maximum age to qualify one to serve in public office. And at 65 was the suggestion. We'll think about a race that would have both Joe Biden and Donald Trump in it. And they would be 78, uh, well, let's, let's do it this way, 82 
and 78, respectively, Joe Biden, Donald Trump. Both well into their 80s at the end of uh, the term, depending on who gets elected. But clear contrast in energy level between the candidates. And if they were to be on the stage at the same time in a debate, it, it would just be glaringly obvious in that respect. And this is why I think that voters can make their minds up on that. They can decide. I don't, I don't believe we need limits on that age limits on that. We, we would be able to tell. It would be just, like I said, painfully obvious. It is, unfortunately, every time Joe Biden uh, speaks in public, makes public appearances, even though the left says, well, he's been a gaffe machine for a long time. It's more than just gaffe. When he struggles pronouncing fairly simple words, I mean, difficult words to pronounce, I get sometimes, but it's a regular occurrence. It's virtually every time. That's not the same as a gaffe. No, the gaffes they point to in his history are saying things that were politically incorrect, yeah. not being able to, unable to speak the English language. Fox News, Super Talk News next. we got a whole hour left in the studio. Stay with us. And now, and now. another hour of the talk that keeps Mississippi talking. <laughs> Middays with Gerard Gibbert. Begin your transition now. Now on Super Talk Mississippi. Welcome back, everyone. Hour two of middays. It's Monday, so that means we're just going to be here for two hours. Coming up next, Ricky Matthews, Super Talk Outdoors, uh, hearing our our journey uh, intro into the hour, as we have here, because that's my favorite group. Okay, I got to choose the music. That's one of the that's one of the perks for being the host. Just want to pass on that the boys performed. Uh, this past weekend at Lavelle Edwards Stadium, home of the BYU Cougars, 50,000, with, they say, another 50,000 outside enjoying the music. It was beautiful weather, as you have this time of year out there, kind of mild temperatures, just a clear blue sky, really good. I mean, that, that is a really pretty location for just about anything like a football game or a concert because you've got the the stadium and then when you look over the top of the bleachers you got the mountains yeah it's it's beautiful no doubt about it spent a fair amount of time out there were some technology companies out there that uh, I served on little councils and they'd fly us out a few times a year to meet it's just beautiful it uh, and you know they know how to deal with that snow out there as well. They get a bunch of it. Utah, by the way, Salt Lake City is quite the uh, the burgeoning um, tech area. lot of technology economic development in the area. It's uh, just a place where the folks that like to do that kind of work want to live. Interesting. But yeah, it's a pretty big deal. 
On the ceasefire text line, can you explain the 23% national sales tax? This is Paul and Meridian. What would it affect and how would a $10 Happy Meal now cost you $12.30? Yeah, so uh, basically you're right, Paul, in that it would apply a 23% federal sales tax uh, on all retail sales. But uh, you would have no income tax, no Social Security and Medicare tax, uh, no corporate income tax, no estate tax, no gift tax. Essentially, the idea is to collect taxes through consumption, levy taxes on consumption, and eliminate the need for the Internal Revenue Service. And in addition to that, there's also something called a a family, I think it's called family tax rebate, as well, uh, family consumption allowance. It's a rebate. It's called a family consumption allowance. And it's sort of like a standard deduction, except this is a dollar-for-dollar cash payment paid in the form of a rebate based on household income. So, for example, for a, um, a single person who earns $14,580 a year, which is the federal poverty level for a single person, the monthly rebate is $279 a month. So you'd have, think about it, you'd have no federal income tax, which they wouldn't be subject to that anyhow based on that uh, income level, but they would have no Social Security, no Medicare tax as well, which is, what, 7.25% of income. In addition, they would get this 275 a month, uh, 79. So it's, it's not quite as simple, Paul, in, uh, as, you, as you indicated, but in general, yeah, $10 Happy Meal would be $12.30, but you'd have no income tax, and you'd have no Social Security and Medicare tax. So what you get paid, here's the way to think about it. What you get paid in terms of gross wages, that's also your net wages from a tax perspective. You may have some benefits to which you contribute. You may have, uh, for example, a 401k plan. You may have group health insurance from your employer. But you would have no federal income tax, and you would have no Social Security and Medicare tax. Now, this is a proposal that's been around for a long time. It's called the fair tax. It's kind of the libertarian dream, and many economic conservatives believe that it is more efficient and more fair, which is why it's called the fair tax, to tax consumption rather than income. also believe that it would, um, it would stimulate more economic development and, and just e- e- overall uh, economic production. Uh, so, Well, in general, you would be collecting taxes from those who may not be paying income tax. That's right. But they're also no, no longer paying Social Security and Medicare, so you got to keep that in mind. So the, you're right, they're not paying income tax, but now... Their Social Security and Medicare is wiped away, plus the government sending them money. Well, one of the money. examples given is for ill-gotten gains. 
Yeah. Say you've got a, an El Chapo out there making millions selling illicit substances. They're not filing taxes on that money. That's right. But they're still buying cars. They're still buying a house. They're still buying clothes and groceries and things like that. And they would be paying, paying the fair tax where they're not currently paying any income on those ill-gotten gains. That's totally right. They, they subvert income tax, like Hunter did. That's a, probably the best example we could give right there. Because those were ill-gotten gains. And they're not subject. They actually are subject, but most people aren't going to put that on their tax return. They're not going to report that revenue. And that's what we're finding out what happened with Hunter. And the IRS was told, back off. Don't mess with Hunter because we've got an election coming up and we can't let Donald Trump win. I mean, that's the bottom line of what happened. It's it's blatant corruption. But that's the fair tax in uh, in a nutshell there. Uh Paul hope that hope that helped. It's um and this is something that Trump's been hammering his pack has at least been hammering Ron DeSantis on because DeSantis supported that when he was in the house. Many Republicans uh, did and do this approach. And uh, what does is, what is Trump's ad call him? Detaxis, I think. But Trump's ad is um, misleading because he doesn't explain these nuances, Paul. He basically said, yeah, Ron DeSantis wants you to pay 23%, add that to everything you buy, whole new tax. Well, it's not exactly a new tax in that you're forgetting to say, oh, but you don't have income tax, you don't have Social Security, you don't have Medicare, you don't have estate tax, don't have gift tax. He fails to mention that in the ad, and the average voter says, well, gosh, I can't support Ron DeSantis. He wants my Happy Meal, as you said, uh, Paul, to cost twelve thirty instead of $10. Well, yeah, but your paycheck's much higher. So it's, it's somewhat relative. I haven't bought a Happy Meal in a while, but I would be surprised if it actually is $10. I don't know what they are, but I will say this. Fast food is a whole lot more than it used to be. It's up significantly. It's pretty oh, yeah. hard to get out of any fast food line for 10 bucks, like it used to be. The non-existent dollar menu. Exactly. That's gone. Used so, to be a whole section of the drive through menu devoted to the dollar menu, and now you're lucky if it's still even there in, in just a couple of them. Right. It was one of the dollar stores, right, that's now a buck twenty-five, whatever it is, Dollar Tree or something like that. So on the ceasefire text line, let's get back to uh, the political environment here in the state of Mississippi. I apologize for not spending as much time as I wanted to last week on that because we got blindsided with these pivotal rulings. I shouldn't say that. We knew they were coming. I just didn't know it was going to be quite the big events they turned out to be, and they should be, honestly. And good grief. I'm not sure any ruling coming out of the Supreme Court, even perhaps including the Dobbs decision a year ago, has generated so much, so much response as uh, as these have. And maybe it's just because it's three big ones, you know, back-to-back in a compressed period of time. So this is on the ceasefire tax line. I think Hoseman may have a problem since he can't present these things up front and to the group of legislators under his control, referring to the amendment, uh, pardon me, the ballot measure process and uh, the income tax, the state income tax, two things that um, 
many believe that Lieutenant Governor Hoseman stood in the way of, was the obstacle to passage of those measures, the elimination of the income tax and reinstatement of the citizen-initiated ballot measure, and certainly the McDaniel camp is, is uh, highlighting that quite a bit in uh, their campaign efforts. When we come back after the break here in the Element Well Studios, we'll continue our discussion about that. We thank you for joining us. It's Independence Day Eve. Stay with us. Middays with Gerard Gibbert. Let's do this. On Super Talk Mississippi. Let's do in the Element Well Studios. A reminder that tomorrow, speaking of campaigns here in the state of Mississippi, it's the annual J-Center July 4th event. It's a pretty big one up there. And uh, let's see, is that Alcorn County, I believe? It's the historic J-Center courthouse. It's beautiful. It's cool. It's uh, out on the highway there. You just, boom, come up upon it. Um, really not in the middle of any town. Tishomingo County. Tishomingo, thank you, thank you. Right adjacent to, I apologize for that, to Alcorn County there, right? And it's it's well attended. And it is similar to Neshoba County Fair in that it is a, um, includes political speeches from candidates. They each get uh, usually 10 minutes, as I recall. I think it is moderated by Representative Nick Bain, he's involved with that. But the courthouse is pretty cool, and there's also, I think it's been converted to a museum. And there is an organization, like a society, that that curates and maintains the, the grounds there and the building. It's really something. But it's, it's neat in that it's kind of old-time political stump speeching. There's a flatbed trailer three or four feet off the ground that's set up under the trees, looking out to the attendees, which are which are uh, just congregated, usually on blankets on the hill under the stately oaks. And there's a sound system set up, and boom, you get your, your 10 minutes and go up and speak and tell them what you're all about as a candidate. And, and it's, uh, gosh, it's everything from the local level, you know, all the way up to... Uh, U.S. Senator would be the highest office on uh, on the list there. But tomorrow, just looking at the schedule, Lieutenant Governor Delbert Hoseman's up at 1028, followed by his opponent, Chris McDaniel, at 1038. And then Nick Bain, the governor, Brandon Presley, 1102, 1112, et cetera. So should be, uh, should be interesting 
uh, for sure uh, tomorrow, July 4th. I hope the rain holds off for the good people at Jay Center. Jay Center, by the way, is the way it is pronounced up there. But it's it's kind of cool in that it's just so historic, and again, it's just sort sort of sitting alone. It's it's a bit isolated. The courthouse. Yeah. Because I mean, if if history, if I remember my history correctly, the courthouse was established before they split Tishomingo County up. Okay. Into, I want to say it was three counties. You got Tishomingo, Alcorn, and Prentice. And then Jacena was wasn't considered the county seat of any of the three, so it kind of fell out of regard. And now I want to say the the latest census put the population what fifty five or something like that. Okay. Well, it it literally is uh, you access it through a two lane highway there in the in the country in the county. And folks just park on the shoulder, line up. And, of course, there's some parking inside the grounds as well. But it's it's really cool. It's it's unique. It's one of a kind. It's, it's a different setting, of course, than the Neshoba County Fair with all the cabins and the track and so, and so forth. And it is part of a fair. This is just a one-day deal, July 4th. And it's pretty much your path to political office certainly for candidates who represent the, the adjacent area, the region, you better be speaking at Jacinta. And then in election years, you'll get, as we just noted, the, the statewide offices as well will speak. So I'm sure we'll get some reports from that, I feel like. Ben from Madison, by the way, 601-879-4395. That's the number for the C Spire text line if you wish to join the conversation. I think it is a bit unfair to say Hoseman single-handedly blocked income tax elimination, but he has been very weak in messaging regarding the initiative process. It's not too late for him to show real support for that right reserved to the people. So, uh, Ben, here's what I'll say. It's not my position, it's not my assertion that the lieutenant governor single-handedly blocked the income tax elimination. If you recall, and I'm not saying you said this, but if you recall, I... uh, I basically preface that by saying that the that's a big talking point from the McDaniel camp, that they point to Delbert, to the sitting lieutenant governor, as the reason we didn't get a ballot measure passed and the reason we didn't uh, get the income tax eliminated. I actually agree with you, Ben, that I think there was some opposition. I know there was opposition from within the Senate as well. And it's fair to say that everybody in the House went along with the the Speaker. I'm talking about on the Republican side, ultimately. But uh, there are a few people that had concerns about that, as both of those issues as well. I want to once again point out that, in my view, should we get a ballot initiative reinstated that there are three measures that I think we'll see on the on the ballot in short order and that would be expansion of Medicaid also increasing in 
diluting the restrictions to abortion, increasing access to in the state, loosening up those restrictions, perhaps um, something similar to what Florida has, which restricts abortion beyond six weeks. My guess is it would be beyond that. I think a measure would make it on for 15 weeks, which, by the way, is what Mike Pence is proposing at a federal level. And then the other one is recreational marijuana. We now have half the states in the country have approved that. I think uh, there would be uh, sufficient momentum behind those issues and money. It takes money to get the requisite signatures, to get those on the ballot. I don't think either of those would pass the legislature. I find it a little interesting, however, that there were probably a lot of Republicans that really want the ballot measure reinstated that oppose all three issues, which are the very three issues that would be the first to make it to the ballot that I believe would pass. Just an opinion on that. Uh, with respect to him being weak on his messaging on that, Ben, well, it depends on what you mean by weak. He, what he's shared, and he shared that on this program, and, and he shared it with me even on a, in a private basis, which is his concern is that, and Rhino's chimed in on this as well, that big out-of-state special interests, well-funded, would leverage the initiative process to push legislation through that suits them. And Rhino and I both agree that, in fact, just the opposite would occur is that they would be the only groups that would have sufficient funding and other assets necessary to get a measure on the ballot. I agree with Ryan on that. So, I, But that's, that's at least been what his explanation has been. You've heard Rhino say that. He's, he's made that clear. He's concerned. And that's why he favors the higher signature threshold. He doesn't have an issue that, that I'm aware of with any other aspects of it the ballot uh, measure process, but he has indicated we need to make the signature threshold higher. The House says, no, we don't want it higher. So we didn't get anything for the last two years in attempts to do so. Let's see. Um, Sam from Mount Hurtons, uh, Herman says, Gerard, you say ill-gotten gains. Hunter Biden said it's a fair tax for doing business with a Biden family. Uh, lots of great skiing out there, talking about Utah. Spent many family vacations out there. Yeah, Alta is where I've been. It's, it is awesome. It's beautiful. Carolyn Starkville says that a, a person should not be allowed to run for president if they don't pass certain physical and emotional tests, and that they should be tested by a third-party examiner. We had someone last week uh, in the healthcare profession say the same. Yeah, I don't necessarily have a problem with that, but the question is, I don't think we should limit that. It's not really a question, it's an opinion. I don't think if we're going to do that, that should be uh, a requirement of all candidates. We shouldn't just limit that to... If the voters really wanted that, then you would see candidates voluntarily taking it. Totally I feel agree. like there's a, a small percentage of the population that's plugged into politics that's just tired of seeing old farts in charge of the country. I think that's true. Uh, I would agree with you, but you know we we've talked about some some young folks as well as well that uh, kind of great on me that I don't want to see in charge. They may or may not pass such tests. 
But it, it should be a test that all would have to take if we're going to uh, implement such a test. We're coming right back, half an hour left in the Element Well studio. Middays with Gerard Gibbert. It is on. On Super Talk Mississippi. We are back in the Element Well studio. Stars and stripes forever on this Independence Day Eve. Bobby from Monticello says, I think there should be a prerequisite that anyone seeking to be commander-in-chief of the U.S. should have served in one of the branches of our armed forces. That's interesting. I uh, don't agree with that. Don't really want to get into all the reasons why. I just think we should be able to to, to uh, select. And, and there's a reason why the requirements are, it's a short list, honestly. 35? Citizen? It's a pretty short list. And I think that's the way it should be. I, I want the best person for that job. And I don't, um, I don't necessarily want to limit the field. I'm not saying a person who served in the armed forces is not capable. Sure. Uh, but I don't want to limit the field to just that, I guess is what I'm saying. So let's see. Um, Mo says, every year Liberty University offers a free online course on the Constitution. Maybe each candidate for office at all levels be required to complete and pass this class. Well... Uh, you know, again, can't the voters make their minds up on that? The candidates, we should be able to to vet them. I think there's sufficient information on candidates for president where we, we could determine whether or not they have an understanding of the Constitution, our systems of government. It's pretty clear to me the president president does not, the occupant of the White House, simply because just last week he once again cited the Declaration of Independence and attributed it to the Constitution. You would think at least those two critical foundational founding documents, you'd have at least a little bit of a clue about it. And uh, and he doesn't. I, you know, i don't really see Donald Trump talking a lot about those documents. I'm not sure how familiar and proficient he is on them, honestly. I did see where Vivek Ramaswamy, Republican candidate for president, he has floated this idea of requiring passing of the civics test that those who were seeking citizenship in the country as a requirement to vote unless one serves either in the military or as a first responder. You've seen that, right? Between the oh, ages yeah. of 18 and 25. And he, he actually tweeted, and on his social media he, he included, attached the test itself. 
I'll be honest, I had to look up a couple of things. That, that test gets pretty deep, which it should. So here's the thing. People that are passing that test to become citizens, they're more familiar with our system of government than people who have lived here all their life. Just because they've, as, as most says, they've taken the time. They've been required, compelled in order to receive citizenship training. And, uh, and then, of course, they, they pass the test and on they go. Well, let's see. Leave your milk and cookies out for the ghost of George Washington. Yeah, will do. Uh, Jacinto's citizens voted down the railroad that was coming, and it went to Corinth, which in turn blew up instead of Jacinto, says Zach from Corinth. I didn't know that bit of history. That does make sense. How about that? Especially for that point in time, the, the railroad was the ticket to a economic and population boom. I got you. Wow. Let's see. Sam says, did you hear where one of the New England states wants to propose that 16-year-olds can vote and hold office? I have not. I have seen the proposal that one would be, is it registered to vote upon birth? I've seen some people on the left make that proposal. I haven't seen where a state wanted that to happen, but I do know there a city in Vermont that wants to allow 16, 17-year-olds to vote in local elections. Okay. All right, you got to look it up, Rhino, because Louie from the 662 says Jay Center is in Alcorn County. Okay. And you said what? Tishomingo? I said. Maybe I'm getting it confused with the original Tishomingo County that was split. Ah, I bet that's it. Just a thought on the lieutenant governor's TV ads. The little old lady mispronouncing his name is beginning to wear a little thin. It was very effective, you'll have to agree, in the last cycle. What does she call him now? Dilbert, right? I think. It's only, what, the third, fourth, fifth time he's rolled that same thing out? You certainly remember it, even, even in it being long in the tooth. The person on our text line recognized it, saw it, and remembers it, and that's the whole idea. What does they say when you're running for office? Um, I mean, that's advertising in general, because a non-related story, I was trying to figure out where I kept seeing these ads for a watermelon slushy. So I Googled and Googled, and I kept finding... Like, oh, this fast food place had a watermelon slushy, and this place had a watermelon slushy, and then I finally saw the ad again. I was like, oh, look, there it is. Smoothie King. <laughs> so I remembered what they were selling. I didn't remember who was selling it. Yep. Well, so uh, so somebody's telling me that I'm butchering the pronunciation of Jacinta. It's when I went there. It's the people at Jay Center that said it's Jay Center. So I don't know. Somebody help me out with that. I said uh, Jay Center. Jay Center. Jay Center, right? You're adding a T in there. Oh, okay. My bad. Jay Center is what you're saying. It's Jay Center. Jay Center. Okay. Well, but if you try to Google that, you're not going to find it. Uh, <laughs> All right. So uh, 
It sounds like there are multiple pronunciations. One of those, it's a it's a proper name, right? So there can be. Well, in fairness, when everybody shows up for the political meet and greet, it swells the population of the town fivefold. That is true. You can tell that just by the automobiles parked along the highway there. Uh, it's spelled J-A-C-I-N-T-O. Now, the honestly, the A could be long or short in that situation, right? Well, in proper names, they'd really sort of throw all the rules out the window. Ha! See what I did there? Well, so the other confusing aspect of it is, if I'm not mistaken, it was named after a battle in the war for Texas independence? Okay. So it's a name a bit out of place and time. Well, that's interesting. So... We have somebody here on the text line say it's Jay Center that I think is from there, as, as best I can tell. So I don't know. You guys tell me. I'll pronounce it what whatever is the so-called approved pronunciation. But I can tell you, when I went up there, there were people, there were locals in the crowd that said it's Jay Center, just like you said. So I don't know. Nick Bain, he's probably got more connection to that representative Nick Bain than than most. I think his family has some connection to that. It's settled the area. We need him to, to help us out, to weigh in. All right, so one of the things that um, I, I guess I, I would ask, I would ask of the people that, uh, that are tuned in, you look at this lieutenant governor's race, which is no doubt, as, as Henry described, is the marquee race in the primary coming up. I agree with him. Marquee race. So, uh, here's the deal. What, what do you, as a citizen of Mississippi, what do you want this particular office to do for you? What, what, what are your policy priorities? What I can say is that the lieutenant governor, for the most part, he dwells on what was achieved while he was in office in the uh, last four years, and, and that's certainly fair. Of course, anybody that's uh, running for office is going to tout their accomplishments. That's a pretty common deal. But, but then, uh, what do you expect to achieve in the next four years? And what I see primarily from the McDaniel camp, and I say primarily, is uh, more discussion about what they, uh, how they differ, I should say, from the lieutenant governor. And, and I'm thinking more in terms of, okay, what is your plan? What are you, you, both of you candidates, what's your plan to move Mississippi forward? What do you think would benefit Mississippi the most in terms of policy, law, etc. Um, share those thoughts with us as we take a break right here. Dinah Shore, gosh, that is a blast from the past there. Bumping us out. See the USA in your Chevrolet. I do recall the ads. We're coming right back in the Element Well studio. And see
Middays with Gerard Gibbert. Keep rolling. Three, two, one. On Super Talk Mississippi. There you go. All righty. So on the fair tax, don't forget that on goods there are taxes applied all the way from manufacturing, marketing, delivery, sales, and so on. Those taxes go away and therefore won't necessarily result in the full increase at purchase time. Embedded tax, it's called. Um, no, that's not how it works. That's a, va- ta- a value-added tax, and the fair tax is not the same as a value-added tax, which is very common in Europe, where taxes are levied at all steps in the production uh, process. Uh, so the fair tax is, is totally visible. It is levied at retail. That's why it's 23%. So it's, it's different. In that respect. And they still have income tax in Europe. That is correct. Sure do. On top of the VAT. That is absolutely correct. So so I was asking before we went to break, what what are folks' priorities? Because we see uh, both camps uh, discussing that. And in particular, the uh, lieutenant governor, what he's talked about that he wants to do, and we'll share... Reports from both camps, both candidates. The lieutenant governor says in the next term, as revenue rises, we will continue cutting taxes on working people, focusing particularly on the income and grocery taxes. Well, there's a problem in that statement, Rhino. If we cut grocery taxes, that, of course, would be a benefit that all people would incur not just working people. So there's a flaw in that statement. Income tax would, of course, affect working people in the state of Mississippi because there is no income tax on retirement income. Now, a retiree can certainly have income which uh, is taxable in the state of Mississippi, but if it's Social Security, uh, for example, or income from retirement plans, PERS, et cetera, pensions, that is exempt from income tax. Uh, also, he says that he plans to, quote, continue eliminating state debt and consolidating agencies' responsibilities, but I've not seen any details of which agencies would be consolidated or any detailed organizational plans or spending plans, funding plans for the respective agencies in the state of Mississippi. That would be interesting to see what his specific plans are there. Crime, he says that, uh, of course, in the first term, he increased penalties 
and mandatory minimum sentences for violent crimes. He did add prosecutors. That's something that um, Henry Barber pointed out. And he said, we're just going to continue to address the challenges facing our correctional system and our growing prison population and law enforcement needs. Infrastructure will continue to fund major capacity projects without neglecting maintenance and also expand high-speed Internet services. Economic and workforce development will continue to support Accelerate Mississippi's efforts. We've had Ryan Miller, of course. He runs that organization on the program many times, including the Career Coach Program and increase workforce participation through partnerships with community colleges and developing incentives aimed at small businesses. No details on that. Not sure what he's talking about. Education, continue to make teaching in Mississippi competitive with neighboring states. That would, of course, mean higher pay for teachers. Increase resources for special needs children. Increase expertise in screening, teaching, and therapy wants to incentivize moving to a modified school calendar, particularly in underachieving districts. Nothing about school choice. It's notably uh, missing from that discussion of plans on education. And then health care. Continue with programs and investment in growing the state's health care workforce. He said he has been meeting with experts at a, quote, regionalization concept and other best practices in other states to improve health care. So, um, interesting sort of dichotomy there uh, of the two major candidates' plans for the state of Mississippi. We talked about Chris McDaniel. He, in, in education reform, he wants to promote parental rights. Uh, he, he is a supporter of school choice. He doesn't actually say that per se, but he says, quote, in the one size fits all approach to learning, support, student tailored education. Oh, here it goes. Through school choice, so my apologies there, and protect children in the classroom by ending woke indoctrination. So he is a proponent of school choice. That is a key distinction between the two candidates. Lieutenant Governor Hoseman says nothing about school choice. And in fact, uh, my belief is that he opposes school choice. We're coming right back. We're out of here today. Take care. Stay safe. Have a happy Independence Day. A Super Talk Mississippi media production.